This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. New York is still reeling from Saturday's terror attacks, even though no one was killed and the suspect was tracked and arrested incredibly quickly. Now, authorities are racing to figure out if 28-year-old Ahmed Khan Rohami acted alone or whether he has ties to Islamic terror cells, whether anyone helped him make his bombs, whether anyone knew about it and didn't report it. The incident has also underscored the question of whether we need more stringent screening of migrants. We want to know what you think. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now I'm here with terrorism and security expert Ross McLean. Hi, Ross. Good to be with you, Libby. Okay, Ross, uh, a couple of really interesting aspects to this. First of all, we're just finding out that the suspect's father told the FBI that he was a terrorist back in 2014. And the FBI allegedly looked into it and dismissed it. Yeah, that information is just coming out now. The New York Times are reporting that. And as as I'm reading, I've just had a chance to read that before we went to air here. It appears that back in 2014, he was involved in a domestic dispute where he tried to stab his brother. The police were called. And during the point of that investigation, his father made some kind of remark about he's a terrorist. It went into the police report. The FBI saw it. Uh, They conducted an assessment. Um, and I guess that they determined that there was nothing more to go on it. Perhaps this was just set in anger. You know, it is one of the issues we've talked about before is the uh, the labor and the manpower it takes to have all of these open cases and be watching these people. So they made their assessment and uh, somehow it didn't all fall together. They assessed wrong. They assessed wrong or they assessed light. I mean, the other big issue that, that comes here, we've talked about this before as the pattern, is we found out he made travel uh, back to the Middle East, to some of the worst terror places in the Middle East. Pakistan? And Multiple he, trips? They're, they're places that if I went to today, I'd probably be killed the same day I arrived there. You're just not allowed to go there. You can't go into these places. But there was no record of that. He was not on the no-fly list uh, after being, you know, his name being mentioned as being a potential terrorist in this 2014. So clearly there are some big holes in the uh, system for the screening and the vetting. Okay. Uh, The other thing, I find this really quite incredible. So they, we were all, you know, really grateful at how quickly he was tracked down and arrested. But one of the ways that made that happen, so this guy leaves a pipe bomb inside a backpack or a, a duffel bag, a valise, and some people in New York see it sitting there and decide to steal the valise. They take the pipe bomb out, not knowing what it is. Um, and there's a theory that they may have uh, disabled it inadvertently. Uh, but uh, I guess they also put themselves at risk. But it was through that pipe bomb. Police found it and were able to get a fingerprint off it. I mean, 
it's it's kind of mind-boggling. You know, this is the way that uh, crime and terrorism goes down. I can remember there was a time I talked to uh, one intelligence operative. They were dealing with a... Uh, a, um, uh, a biker uh, bomber who was bombing for the mob for doing stuff with people. And he just about lost his life at one point because he didn't have the parking brake on the bomb. He had it up on the dash and it fell off and landed at his feet. So all sorts of strange things happen. But yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting here is, you know, the fingerprint on the bomb. Uh, we have a videotape of him walking throughout New York, not covering his face. And th- there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that because he wasn't expecting to be caught and go to jail. He was doing this to be martyred, to do some bombing, to kill people and die in the end. That's what he was hoping to do. So he doesn't care if Are we sure about that? It, it's, uh, we have his uh, rantings, his jihadist postings, uh, his travel, the fact, and we'll talk a bit more about this, that he had a bride that was here that he had over in the Middle East that has since— uh, and, and, and a child— Apparently. A child with another woman that, that's here, and apparently, perhaps a child back there, we don't know, but supposedly his Middle Eastern wife left two days before this happened. Very consistent with the pattern that we saw in San Bernardino uh, for doing that. So, yeah, my expectation was he expected to go down a ball of flames. But what happened is his bombs didn't go off. So the problem here, and I've talked about this before, is building bombs is not something for the faint of heart. It is, is something easy to do. When you're sitting there with very volatile explosive substances and you're taking them, hooking up electrically to a cell phone component that has a battery in it and something goes wrong, you're losing your hands, you're losing your face, you're losing your life. So the fact that his bombs were not built very well saved us. Same thing happened here in Canada, Strathroy, Ontario. The bombs that went off in Strathroy, when the police took him down, the bomb didn't go off, just the detonators went off. So we we're very lucky that there were not, in fact... Hundreds of people killed in New York on the weekend. Well, my understanding was that the the bomb that exploded in the trash can, the metal absorbed the shock of it. Yeah, but no, but still, twenty nine yeah. people were injured there. Yes, I mean, th- those, th- I mean, and those bombs are designed not to uh, take down buildings. The shrapnel is designed to inflict maximum injury, uh, scarring, and if they're lucky, death. But they really like the idea of just maiming a lot of people to walk around the rest of their life with the wounds from this, like they did in the Boston bombing. That's the intent of those style of bombs. So uh, again, um, I guess it, it's a combination of technological know-how, but also a lot of luck that this guy was tracked so quickly. A lot of technological know-how, and uh, I'll say more than that, as I've always talked about before, when it comes to terrorism offenses, you want to stop them before the bomb goes off, before they do the thing. Didn't happen here. But in terms of the response to terrorism, there is no place on earth that is worse to try and get away with doing something of terrorism than New York City. The, the technology that they have there, the systems that they have, the knowledge base they have there, the manpower, I mean, it, it would be just almost impossible. In fact, uh, the other morning, I, I put a post on my Facebook page, Crime, Power, and Politics, if uh, listeners want to go there. About three hours before he was arrested, I said, I'm confident they'll have him before nightfall. And they got him a few hours later because that's how tight the net is down in New York. Very, very tight. Okay. Uh, so... Is um, is the uh, leak or the the looseness in the FBI and in in the tracking of the terror suspects, or I mean, where is 
the problem here? Well, where I'm seeing the problem is exactly there. It's the travel. People who come in from countries that are involved in terrorism, where those places take place, from those areas, we don't do a a good job of tracking them. Uh, We bring them in without being able to vet them very well. And you can't vet them very well because there isn't uh, backgrounds in many of their countries to be able to confirm who they are. We know that even with ISIS, one of the things that they did was they took over the uh, the ministry uh, for uh, where the passports were made. They had all the passport making machinery, so everything would look valid. You don't know who they are. Uh, the people get over here, and and once again, the big thing we're finding here is the travel back. Once they decide that they want to get radicalized, to travel back to these areas to go learn to take uh, how to do the shooting and the bomb building. We saw it with San Bernardino. We saw it with the Boston bombing. They made their travel over to that area. And we're seeing it with this uh, New York bomber. Okay. So I guess the question is, uh, do we have to be more stringent and have different requirements? And I'd like to open this up to our callers. Um, what do you think? I mean, uh, one of the things this incident, certainly in the States, has unleashed a whole debate as part of the presidential campaign. <laughs> Hillary, Clinton, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. Who is going to be more tough? Who uh, understands this stuff better? And, and also here we have, you know, one of the conservative candidates suggesting that we have to screen people for values. Is that a practical thing to do? Obviously, we have to screen people for something. The question is what and how do we deal with this? And listeners, we'd like to know what you think. The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And we are asking you in the light of Saturday's terror attacks, um, do we have to be more stringent about screening people? I'm here with terrorism and security expert Ross McLean. And uh, Ross, um, is what you're suggesting that the screening or um, the criteria for screening should be travel back and forth to some of these countries, like Pakistan. Yeah, well, there's different issues. One issue is immigration. Another issue is whether they're refugees or not. And then there's travel. But uh, what lies at the base of this, and we know this because Toronto is a great city of, of immigrants in many cultures. The issues now is uh, some of these people who are being brought over who are subject to becoming radicalized are part of a culture that does not integrate they don't integrate with the society. That's what's been said about this family in New York. The people who lived on that block, even though they've been there forever, they didn't know them. No one knew them. Yet everybody, every other shopkeeper knows people in the area. And so if you don't integrate successfully, it makes your life difficult. You're not really contributing to the new community that you're in. And if you're a child uh, of one of uh, this culture that comes in, you're not, you don't feel successful. You feel left out. Your parents keep you left out. Your practices are different. You don't believe those things are, are good that these people are doing here, their lifestyle. And that makes people susceptible to being able to go radical. You know, I, I wonder because, you know, I even think back to previous uh, migrations and there are actually um, a lot of people who didn't really integrate. You know, I'm, I have friends who's who are Italian or Portuguese, and, and, you know, their mothers never learned to speak English, but it was but, a but different... The chi- but the children did, and, yeah. and things like that, and the children get along. And we and we loved our Italian friends when we were growing up. We loved yeah. our, you know, our different... There's been different migrant waves all the time coming over. The Danforth is proof of that. It's been owned by the Irish, by the Italians, by the Greeks, by the East Indians. I didn't know you... about the Irish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the Danforth is a history of it. And people get on there, and you come, and you assimilate, and you work, and you, you take on the values, and you help build this country to make it great. Not just 
but we're seeing a lack of assimilation. And that's even happening with all the Syrian refugees that are coming in. Very, very unsuccessful uh, in the settlement for many of them. Very, very many of them. So you have to look at, are you doing someone a favor if you're bringing them over here and they're not really assimilating and they're not happy here themselves? Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Tim in Thornhill. Hi, Tim. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good, thank you. I, uh, I agree with your, uh, your speaker. I honestly think that we should uh, check these people for their values. And if, uh, if they... I, I just, it seems to me, and it, it may be just uh, what I hear on the media, but it, it seems that uh, they do not want to uh, assimilate with us, and, and I don't know that they ever will. It, it seems that the, uh, the teachings, even, even to the young people, are that uh, um, you keep your, your values, you keep your, uh, from, from the, uh, the country that you came from, um, and, and if, if things are so bad there, why are they coming here and, and wanting uh, to change us? That's the way it seems to me anyway. Well, I guess the question that I have, I mean, I think that we are right to be concerned about the values of people coming in. But I, I, it's hard for me to imagine a way to screen for that that is not open to vast abuse and uh, total subjectivity. You know, I, I honestly don't think it's that hard to do in some ways. I, I Back when I was a police officer, which was qu- quite a while ago for doing it, I got involved with dealing with some uh, domestic violence and problems in areas from people from the culture in the Middle East. And they have no problem telling you when you walk up to them, you know, my wife is less than a dog. I don't, I don't have to listen to her. She's less than a dog. And I will not listen to her. And I don't care. I'm allowed to beat her. And, and these are the sort of things, you ask them, many of these people, they will tell you, oh yeah, no, I can hit my wife, just not that hard, you know, and, and those sort of things. So you can ask the questions, you can ask the questions about the genital mutilation that they do. And they'll tell you, oh yeah, yeah, we believe in that. And so if you have someone who believes in that, and they believe in, for instance, Sharia law being above the criminal code law that we have here, that, that's a pretty clear indication to me that you're not going to fit in here. You're just, that's to me. And I, I think... Uh we're so afraid of being called racist um, that, that we, we prefer to ask these questions. And I think they're legitimate questions. If you don't want to be here, you don't want to uh, uh, get a hold of our, our, uh, our um, sorry, the words are failing me, our, uh, our lifestyle. Um, this is a pretty great country. And if you don't want to be here and you don't want to uh, uh, fit in, then maybe you shouldn't be here. It, I think um, that's, that's fair enough, but we have to keep in mind a lot of people come for different reasons, economic migration. And we also, you know, uh, we are compassionate and we want people who really want to be here and who really have to escape a war zone, you know, the right people. And there's questions about whether they're escaping the war zone. And, you know, one distinction that I want to make here, because I'm very particular on words, you know, as to whether it's racist or it's a cultural problem. See, what happens, you have cultural practices, which have nothing to do with the skin color of people. I remember when I was in high school, we had a kid come into our class White kid, tall, skinny kid, great kid. He was from Trinidad. He talked like a, a Jamaican guy. I'm like, you had to open your eyes. And hold, hold on. Yeah. It didn't make sense that someone would speak like that who came from this country. Everybody in that country speaks like that. Right. Yeah. But I'm yeah. saying it's a cultural, it's not a matter of his skin color that makes him speak that way, right? Or had him speak that way. So I, I think we can confuse cultural practices, and many of the cultural practices practiced in that part of the world are from the Middle Ages. They really are. And they don't fit well with the current society we have. Okay, Tim, thanks a lot for your call. All right. Thanks very much. Okay. Uh, 
We have to take a quick break, but we will come back with more of your calls and comments on this. I'm here with Ross McLean. Uh, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740, and we will pick up your calls after the break. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with terrorism and security expert Ross McLean. We're talking about those terror attacks in New York and the question of whether we need more stringent screening to prevent stuff like that from happening. Uh, we're going right to the phones. We've got Alex in Brampton. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh I've always been confused. Apparently, my understanding that this terrorist, uh, in fact, became a naturalized citizen in the States, and I don't know whether it was after the fact, but I heard that they knew that he was in a terrorist camp back in Pakistan, and uh, apparently spent quite some time there. My question is, why do we allow these people back in there if we can prove that they were in a terrorist camp uh, it seems to me if you're a naturalized citizen, that's a privilege. And uh, obviously, if you're in a terrorist camp, your motives are questionable. I don't think they should be allowed back into the country. And I mean, that uh, is the same thing here in Canada. You know, if you're sent out and uh, or you leave and you're fighting for a cause which is contrary to what we believe in, why do we allow these people to come back? I, I, I think the issue is they probably uh, didn't have proof. Ross, would you like to speak to that? Well, yeah, we're looking into, I said, we're not, they don't cover very well here in Canada or in the U.S. where people travel when they go. There's a, there's a hole there. But uh, Alex raises excellent points, which have been raised by senior security level intelligence people and certainly being raised politically in the U.S. It has been here in Canada that if you go, you should lose your citizenship or it's going to be very tough to get back in the country. And these are discussions we have to have because clearly that's a danger sign when you travel to one of these areas and come back knowing how to make bombs. Yeah, but I th- I think the issue is if they did know that they were at a terror camp, the problem is they don't know or don't know for sure. Am I wrong? Well, that's part of it. And part of it is because countries like Turkey, which is uh, used, they, they transit back and forth, the ISIS people over there. And there's yep. talk that Turkey, who is a NATO partner, facilitates some of that because of the oil dealings they do. So it's very, very yeah, dicey. Pakistan is apparently also our ally. What do they facilitate? Pakistan. You know, Pakistan is the little dark hole that no one really uh, studies too much. A lot of terrorism. The, the Taliban go back and forth between uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. There's a real hatred on for the United States in Pakistan. They're a nuclear country. And that's something we don't really talk a bit uh, too much about. They're really under the radar, Pakistan. Yep. So there you go, Alex. Uh, you well, know, I appreciate I... that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that that will become an issue as uh, time goes on. Well, we certainly hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's go to John in Coburg. Hi, John. Hi. Um, I had just a comment, a uh, couple of comments. Uh, uh, cultural, I mean, screening, we're talking about screening for for cultural uh, uh, to be assimilated by by these people that when they come over, correct? Well, that's that's one of that's one of the things raised by a PC leadership candidate that's come okay. under a lot of fire. Very interesting. Just to give a little background on that, uh, there was a poll done, actually, ironically, by the Toronto Star, which of course is very liberal on this stuff, and it found that that 
most people do um, support some kind of screening for values, uh, but everybody in the political spectrum uh, uh, dismisses the idea. And I, of course, say, you know, we're right to be concerned about values. I don't really see how you do this without abuse. But, but yeah, it's, it's a PC the, leadership candidate. Right, but the, but the point the point is, is anybody coming over here that is going to come over here and want to do any kind of terrorist act, when you, when you screen for cultural, they're not going to give you the answers. They're going to give you the answers that you want to hear, obviously, if they're going to want to do any kind of damage. But you know, so you know, you know what, caller, and that's a good point. Except, I'm telling you, a lot of them will tell you up front what what their values are, what they believe on. A lot of yeah, them will also, a yeah, lot but, of them will also have social media accounts, like the, yeah, the but, woman who came over for the San Bernardino. She had a social media accounts where they knew about uh, her jihadi right, but warnings. But that doesn't make them just because somebody believes in some sort of Sharia law doesn't make them a terrorist. No, no, no. He's talking about uh, he believes terrorist, uh, you know, uh, jihadi. Uh, terror, terror beliefs, and, but and I, assimilation I, is what I I'm have to tell about. you, John. I think you make a very good point that somebody who has a whole plan is is just going to lie. Obviously, if if they right. think they'll be stopped, I mean, I you know, yeah. yeah. And and the, the other point I want to make is is as a country, as a, as a as a people, I think that uh, we are only as good as how we how we treat the minorities in the country. That's 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 that, that's what we're all about. You, I mean, uh, to, to treat the minorities in a in a in a in a, uh, in a way that makes them less or uh, less uh, accommodating here is not right. I mean, this is a country where we, if we if we treat the minorities in a in, in a in a better way or in a in a good way, perhaps maybe we would have. We wouldn't have all the problems that we that we that we have. Well, okay, you, you, you have oh, to... just just I have to interject here because we're going to have to wrap things up. Okay, John, right. thank you for your thoughts, and you. uh, we will give uh, Ross uh, thirty seconds for the last word on this. Yeah, no, the, the caller raises important points, but I will tell you. I'm an investigator. I know how to do these things. I've dealt with some of the people. I know people in the Israeli army. I know how they profile. I know how they question. People can lie to you all they want. You can find them out. And this is just a part of the process of making sure they'll be successful here. But I think this is something we all need to keep our eye on. So it was great to be able to discuss it here on the show today, Libby. Okay. Great to be able to discuss it without too much political correctness. Ross McLean, (laughs) as always, thank you so much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.